0: Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the Scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeople'sministry.com, or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box Two Five Six. Brooks, Georgia 30205 Our phone number is 404-906-9009 We would like to hear from you and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study.
1: Hello again everybody, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia bringing you another look into the Lost Gospel of Peter. Indeed, dear kinsfolk, you may remember that last Sunday we began studying this two-part series. And so it was, Sunday, three days ago, that we began this two-part study into the Lost Gospel according to Peter, as is transcribed in the Lost Books of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden. And dear kinsfolk, I might remind you to swing by Covenant People's Ministry The address is given at the beginning, the middle, and the end of this broadcast, and visit our newly revamped Covenant People's Wiki section. In our personal Wiki section, we have the Lost Books of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden transcribed for you and the web to read. That way you can study along if you study with us. And so, dear kinsfolk, we left off in the seventh verse, which was the halfway point in this study. And so tonight, we're going to pick it right back up in verse 8. This is a relatively long verse, so pay attention. It says this, "...the scribes and the Pharisees and elders, being gathered together, one with another, when they heard that all the people murmured and beat their breasts, saying, If by his death these most mighty signs have come to pass, see how righteous he is! And the elders were afraid, and came to Pilate, beseeching him, and saying, Give us soldiers that we may guard his sepulchre for three days, lest his disciples come and steal him away. And the people suppose that he's risen from the dead and do us evil. And Pilate gave them Petronius the centurion, with soldiers to guard the tomb. And with them came elders and scribes to the sepulchre, and having rolled a great stone together with the centurion and the soldiers, they all together, who were there, set it at the door of the sepulchre. And they affixed seven seals, and they pitched a tent there and guarded it. And early in the morning, as the Sabbath was drawing on, there came a multitude from Jerusalem and the region round about, that they might see the sepulcher that was sealed." And so, here it is, dear friends, the world of man coming along and taking what they consider to be measures to prevent the so-called resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it was, there was such civil unrest in the land of Jerusalem and roundabout. Why? Well, first and foremost, we already covered in Sunday's sermon. The world came along and said, after they crucified Jesus Christ, that his disciples, those that followed him, set churches on fire, set synagogues on fire, and were basically engaging in all forms of civil unrest. But we know that wasn't true, dear friends. This was slander and lies on the part of the world against the true Zadok, the true faithful. And so I pointed out that it will be no different in this day and age, dear friends, The way of truth will be evil spoken of. It doesn't matter how much of Judeo-Christianity isn't substantiated within the Word of God. Nor does it matter how much we can back up our theology line by line and verse by verse, verbatim from the Scripture. The mocking world simply will not understand. Do you think the mocking world cared for one minute about the fact that Jesus Christ never violated God's law? That he never contradicted the word of God? Oh no, indeed. Rather, what the world would do at the time of Christ was come along and attack him personally. They would say, you pick corn on the Sabbath. They would say that you sit with sinners and publicans, Jesus Christ. But they never once could come along and say, you err in the scripture. And so, it's up to us to side on the part of Yahweh God. We'd be better to err for the side of truth than to buy the lies of the world, hook, line, and sinker. That's what a majority of the world does, dear friends. A majority of the world believes in what the masses say. So if Billy Graham or Joel Steen or any of these false prophets come along and say, Well, all Jesus Christ wants you to do is open your heart. That, to them, is truth, dear friends. doesn't matter that that's not written in scripture. It doesn't matter. That your heart is not necessarily an organ to open. (laughs) Or it should be pointed out that heart nowhere in scripture is considered to be what's here between your chest or your rib cages. Rather heart is a mistranslation of the word mind. So what is in your heart? What is in your mind? Do you have a mind inclined to serve Yahweh God? Well if you do, dear kinsfolk, pay attention that according to the lost gospel of Peter... The disciples, the apostles, were considered criminals, as was Jesus Christ, who was being crucified between two other criminals for being what they considered a criminal. Now, what was he found guilty on, dear friends? Nothing. Jesus Christ was an innocent man, but this long verse straightforwardly confirms that signs were given this wicked generation after Jesus Christ gave up the ghost, after he said it is finished. This is the aftermath, dear friends, and this is what they're dealing with, the physical dead body of Jesus Christ. So the world round about there in the land of Judea was at least familiar enough with the Old Testament law and the Mosaic law to know that the Redeemer, the Messiah, would raise three days after being put in a tomb. And so here they are taking every step they can to ensure that doesn't happen. Why? Because the world, Satan's world if you will, doesn't want the faithful to increase their faith. Dear friends, how do we increase faith? Well, we know scripture says faith comes by hearing. So we can develop faith, dear friends, through fellowship, through simply listening to the study. At the same time, a way of developing faith is having Yahweh God move within our lives. And there could have been no greater sign given to those faithful round about the feet of the cross but the fulfillment of prophecy. That Jesus Christ would lay down his life or, quote-unquote, tear down the temple and raise it up again within three days. That was the promise he made, and that was the promise he made good on. But the world didn't want it to be as such. And your canonized gospels teach no differently, dear friends. They say that they did everything they could. The Jews round about wanted so much for those people to not believe on Jesus Christ that they would stoop to the level of, Of lying. So these are the measures that the world took in the ludicrous thought that they could thwart the will of God even after the sky was darkened, even after the veil of the temple was torn in two. Oh indeed they're still taking steps and it was no different in the times of Christ. So Pilate gives the people Petronius Petronius was a centurion, a Roman centurion, and his position was to guard the tomb of Jesus Christ, where Joseph of Arimathea was going to place his body. Pay close attention, dear friends. Next verse, verse 9 in the Lost Gospel according to Peter, it says this, And in the night in which the Lord's day was drawing on, as the soldiers kept guard two by two in a watch... There was a great voice in the heaven, and they saw the heavens opened. And two men descend from thence with a great light, and approach the tomb. And that stone, which was put at the door, rolled of itself, and made way in part. And the tomb was opened, and both the young men entered in. Dear friends, this term young men, of course, is angels. And this is where we get our New Testament narrative. This is merely Peter's interpretation of it. And... For some strange reason, the gospel according to Peter didn't make it in. Perhaps because it doesn't cover the entire life of Christ. Perhaps because it's only a fragment that deals with the crucifixion of Christ. But I say unto you, dear friends, that Peter's lost gospel, quote-unquote, at least lost in the eyes of the world, sheds extra light. It gives amplification, if you will, dear friends. And so here it is. Even though Pilate and the Herodians and the governments of man placed soldiers there that would two by two guard the tomb of Jesus Christ, to make sure that no bandits would come in to steal the body or steal any goods that were placed in that tomb, and also to make damn sure that the prophecy given by the Old Testament prophets wouldn't come to pass. But even though they took all these steps, look what happens, dear friends: the heavens opens up, and Yahweh God sends two angels. These two angels walk towards that tomb. And even though that tomb was sealed by men with immense strength, men in numbers that had to move it to seal the door, it simply opened. Dear friends, where is your faith? Because I've seen taught, I've seen within the movement, people who want to come along and take these simple little concepts. Oh, they'd say, God didn't create the world from nothing, even though the scripture straightforwardly says he does. And as such, knowing that messengers, a.k.a. Angelos, or the angels of God that he sends, are technically in and of themselves the right or left hands of Yahweh God, doing his bidding, giving his law, then we should be able to understand that this wasn't something that Yahweh God had no part of. These weren't warring rebel angels that just so happened to show up at the tomb of Jesus Christ. Rather, they were sent of Yahweh God. And because they had the power of Yahweh God hardwired within them, they merely had to think and or speak it to become. What am I getting at? I'm getting at the fact that even though it may have taken ten men, To put that stone in front of the sepulcher, it merely took the angels of God, the thought and or the word to move it. This is what Jesus Christ meant when he said, if you have true faith, you can move mountains as we covered in the Gospel of Thomas, dear friends. It wasn't necessarily that you could say, mountain move, and you'll see the whole mountain move, but more the fact that you can change the world. Greater is he that is in us, than he that is in the world. So even though the whole world and the governments of man came along and they engaged in a slander campaign and said, hey, the disciples like Peter are burning down churches. They're causing civil unrest. We need to crucify them all. It didn't matter. Why? Because Yahweh God was in control. And that, dear friends, is confirmed right here in verse 9 of the lost gospel of Peter. It says, that stone which was put at the door rolled of itself, and made way in part, and the tomb was opened, so it opened just enough for the two angels to walk in. Next verse, verse 10 in the lost gospel according to Peter. When therefore those soldiers saw it, they awakened the centurion and the elders, for they too were hard by keeping guard. And as they declared what things they had seen, again they see three men come forth from the tomb and two of them supporting one, and a cross following them. And of the two, the head reached unto the heaven. But the head of him, who was led by them, overpassed the heavens. And they heard a voice from the heavens, saying, Thou hast preached to them that sleep. And a response was heard from the cross. "Yea." So, take note, dear friends, that Jesus Christ didn't come along and preach to the entire world. Rather, Jesus Christ, according to Yahweh God, speaking from the heavens, preached to them that slept. And that, dear friends, is where the whole war lies. Do you want to waken those in slumber, dear friends? Then the only way to do that is to bring them to Jesus Christ. Not necessarily even this Word, because Jesus Christ is the living Word. And in bringing them to this Word, Jesus Christ and or the Bible... Christ himself, the Messiah, can open their eyes, can awaken them so they can see what's forever transcribed, dear friends. This is the reason why many people can read the Bible time and time again. It doesn't matter how many times they read the fact that Jesus Christ says the law is eternal in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. It doesn't matter how many times he says to the Jews, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do, according to John chapter 8. It simply will not make sense to the natural man unless Jesus Christ awakens them. And so it is that here, according to this narrative, Peter says that three men came out of the tomb. That two men walked in. Two angels, if you will. And three came out supporting the body of Christ. The physical body, dear friends. And this is extremely important. Because in the book of Acts it says, why do you marvel? For in the same manner, Jesus Christ Ascended shall he descend. That is in the great and terrible coming day of the Lord. And so the spiritualizers, these Judaizers. Who want to come along and say well Jesus Christ is spirit. And spirit only are missing the mark of the second and final advent. They don't understand what that's about. But Peter understood. And the original disciples did as well. So much so they could transcribe it. And this is the reason why. They went the elders... The natural man, they went and they woke up, Petronius, the centurion, and they reported to him what was going on. And what was going on was two angels leading Jesus Christ out of his tomb, physically helping him, and the quote-unquote cross following behind. What's the significance of the cross following behind, dear friends? And why does a response come from the cross? That is, yay. Because the cross, if you will, in a metaphorical sense, understood the truth of the statement that Yahweh God gave, saying, you preached to those who were asleep. Indeed, that was manifest in the life of Jesus Christ, was it not? The Judeo-Christian wants you to believe that as Jesus Christ walked the face of this earth, his life was peachy keen. But that's simply not the fact, dear friends. Jesus Christ dealt with many persecutions. He was mocked and scourged of the world. As you will be as well. If you decide to err on the side of truth. If you decide to follow the word of God. And so even the cross in a metaphorical sense understood this statement. Thou hast preached to them that sleep. And so as a pastor, dear friends, I understand this concept perfectly. I know the numbers, if you will, I know that this sermon will go out, and in the next three days, it will be listened to by at least 300-some-odd people. And of those 300-some-odd people, a hundred, if I'm lucky, a third, will listen all the way to the end. This sermon, right now, a third will listen to the very end. And of that third, maybe 10%, maybe 30 will lay it to heart. Maybe 30 will truly enjoy it. Which is 10% of a third. And of that 10% of the third, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, if I'm lucky, will be touched by the truth. Will edify their own Christian walk. Will be strengthened and develop an ever-increasing faith through listening. But, dear friends, I understand that I'm lucky if I get... Maybe 1%. Not to digress, but understand these numbers. Even the implement by which Jesus Christ was crucified upon, an implement of torture, understood that Jesus Christ preached to those who slept. Why? Because those who slept had the Messiah with them. They saw the miracles he did. They knew his spirit, if you will. They knew he was a good man through his works. And what did they do? They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The governments of man put to death an innocent man, dear friends. An innocent man. Not a man who went along and attempted to engage in a felony. Not a man who attempted to rob a bank or rape somebody or something like that. But a truly innocent man. According to your own canonized gospels dear friends it was Pilate who washed his hands and said I don't want to be responsible for the blood of this innocent man I wash my hands of the entire situation did it make Pilate any less accountable in the eyes of God his act of doing this it may have made him personally feel better for in doing as such he washed his hands of the whole thing but an innocent man was still put to death dear friends Pilate could have changed this but he didn't And this is one of the discrepancies of this lost gospel of Peter. And most likely one of the reasons why it didn't make it in. Let me point out right now, before continuing on, a couple of these discrepancies. At least the top six discrepancies to be found within the lost gospel, according to Peter. Number one is this. Herod was the one who gave the order for the execution. So, straightforward. It wasn't Pilate. According to the lost gospel of Peter, that's why that narrative was taken out. That's why Pilate doesn't have to wash his hands. And perhaps an apologist for Pilate wrote this. But this world may never know. But that, dear friends, is the number one, quote unquote, inconsistency. The second is this. Joseph was a friend of Pilate. And I preached on that in the first half. That, dear friends may not be considered a discrepancy at all, if you will, because Jesus Christ straightforwardly taught, be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. Joseph of Arimathea could have been a friend of Pilate and a friend of Jesus Christ at the same time. It was a matter of where his priorities were. And if this were the case, that is, that he could be a follower of Jesus Christ and still have the ability to go into Satan's kingdom, Satan's government, and Satan's world and change it from within, then more power to him, dear friends. That's exactly what you and I should be doing. Working from within the system to change it from within. Number three, dear friends, that is, an inconsistency is this. In the darkness, many went about with lamps and fell down. And why that's a discrepancy, I don't know. Perhaps because it doesn't straightforwardly say in our four canonized gospels that they carried lamps and went around in the darkness. But our gospels straightforwardly say that the skies, the heavens, were darkened. So that is not an inconsistency. Number four. Our Lord's cry of, My power, my power. And indeed, I pointed that out last Sunday. In the last gospel, according to Peter, he says, My power, my power is forsaking me. As opposed to, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatene. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In fulfillment of the 22nd Psalm. Number five, the account of how the disciples had to hide because they were searched for as malfactors, anxious to burn the temple. And so that's not necessarily a discrepancy, if you will, but an expansion. Indeed, I can say that, dear friends, because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it all says that at the times of the trial of Jesus Christ, great affliction arose. This was the reason why Peter denied Jesus Christ. This was the reason why many of the disciples went into hiding. The gospel, according to Peter, merely points out the reason as to why. The governments of the world were attempting to frame the 11 remaining disciples that walked with Jesus Christ as he taught. And so that's not a discrepancy at all, dear friends. In fact, an extremely important aspect that I want you to pay close attention to. How is it, dear friends, that so many supposed Christians, many that even listen to me, want to attack and rail against me, my ministry, and what it is I teach? The reason for that is nine times out of ten... The Judeo-Christian pastors come along and all they need to do is say, Oh, well, don't listen to Pastor Visser. He's racist. Don't listen to Pastor Visser. He's preaching from the Proto-Evangelion. He's preaching from the Lost Books. He's preaching from the Gnostic texts. But why is it, dear friends, that so many of you who listen to me and then you go to these Judeo-Christian churches, allow them to take that from you? Why don't you grill them? Why don't you ask them? Why don't you make the false prophet point out within the word of God, where it is you're going to be raptured, where it is all you've got to do is open your heart to Jesus Christ. Where it is he stands at the door of your heart and knocks. It's simply not written, dear friends. The reason many of you do that, dear friends, is because that's what the world says is truth. The world says racism is bad. Now, they didn't 50 years ago, but they say that's bad. Therefore, any resemblance or semblance of racism, even if it's from the Word of God, can't be true to the eyes of the masses. So don't make that mistake, dear friends. They still speak evil of us. And they still want to come along and say, we burned down churches. No more is it true than it was at the time of Christ. And the final inconsistency in the lost gospel, according to Peter, is this. Number six. The name of the centurion who kept watch at the tomb was Petronius. And so, why that's considered an inconsistency, who knows? What we do know from our own canonized gospels is this, dear friends, that there was masses round about the tomb. And... The Gospel of Peter confirms that. So we should pick it back up. But I wanted to point out what they considered inconsistencies. And what most theologians consider inconsistencies in this Gospel of Peter are merely matters of perception. Not changes to the narrative itself, but matters of perception. According to Peter, Herod gave the order. So, Herod and Pilate were both involved in the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. According to Peter, Petronius was the centurion. So, there were numerous centurions round about the tomb of Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministries. If you've enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel, and would like to be a part of our fellowship, I receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD Sermon, be sure to write to us at TPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. And you can easily listen to Pastor Visser's by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message.
1: Next verse, that is, verse 11 in the Lost Gospel according to Peter, it says this, They therefore considered one with another whether to go away and show these things to Pilate, and while they yet thought thereon, the heavens again are seen to open, and a certain man to descend and enter into the sepulcher. When the centurion and they that were with him saw these things, they hastened in the night to Pilate, leaving the tomb which they were watching, and declared all things which they had seen, being greatly distressed, and saying, Truly he was the Son of God. Pilate answered and said, I am pure from the blood of the Son of God. But it was ye who determined this. Then they all drew near, and besought him, and entreated him to command the centurion and the soldiers to say nothing of the things which they had seen. For it is better, say they, for us to be guilty of the greatest sin before God, and not fall into the hands of the people of the Judeans, and to be stoned. Pilate, therefore, commanded the centurion and the soldiers to say nothing. And so we see here that even in the times of Jesus Christ, there was a conspiracy, a conspiracy among the governments of men, and that conspiracy was what? To cover the truth. For these kings, elders, and rulers round about, those that saw these great things happening that Yahweh God was bringing to pass, that is, the heavens opening up, the stone of the tomb rolling away, and all these things, reasoned within themselves, and they said, for it's better for us to be guilty of the greatest sin before God and save our life, to not fall into the hands of the rebel Israelites that would tear us to pieces. And that's exactly what they did. So Pilate decreed right then and said, You know what? I'd rather be a liar to God. Why? First and foremost, he didn't believe in God. So he didn't have God's morality hardwired within him. Indeed, Herod went after the pagan gods of the lands round about him. But not to digress, notice that Herod says this, he says, you know what, I'm free of the blood, was he? Was Pilate free of the blood of Jesus Christ merely because Pilate said as such? Because he washes his hands and says, I'm not guilty, you wanted this, even though I consented unto this? Pilate had told Jesus Christ during his trial, I have the power to set you free. I have the power to crucify you. And indeed he did, or so he thought, within the eyes of the world. And that's all Pilate knew was the world. That's why he governed the world. But I assure you, dear friends, just because Pilate said as such, didn't free him from the blood if it wasn't the will of Yahweh God. Only Yahweh God can free you from a sin before God. And this is the reason why here In the gospel, according to Peter, it says as such. They reason within themselves. They say, you know what? We'd rather be guilty before God if it saves our life. We'd rather be guilty before the Israelites' God than torn apart by the Judeans. Next verse. Verse 12. And at dawn upon the Lord's day, that is, both a Sabbath day and the completion of the Passover... At dawn on that Lord's Day, Mary Magdalene, a disciple of the Lord, fearing because of the Jews, since they were burning with wrath, had not done at the Lord's sepulchre the things which women are wont to do for those that die, and for those that are beloved by them. She took her friends with her, and came to the sepulchre where he, that is Jesus Christ, was laid. And they feared lest the Jews should see them. And they said, although on that day on which he was crucified... We would not weep and lament, yet now let us do these things at a sepulchre. But who shall roll away for us the stone that was laid at the door of the sepulchre, that we might enter in and sit by him and do the things that are due? For the stone was great, and we fear lest someone see us. And if we cannot, yet if we but set at the door the things which we bring as a memorial of him, we will weep and lament until we come into our home." And so understand, Mary Magdalene felt upon her heart, as in Israelite, that Jesus Christ should be prepared for burial. Joseph of Arimathea obtained the body from Pilate, indeed, and it was up to Mary Magdalene to dress his body for burial. And so it was here, the end of the Passover, that Mary Magdalene says, I need to dress Jesus Christ for burial. And she reasons within herself as she and her friends are coming near to the tomb of Jesus Christ. Oh, but wait! There's a huge stone rolled in front of the entrance. She says within herself, if what we need to do is lay down the oil, the wraps, and all of these things at the door of the tomb and weep, and lament, then that is what we will do. That was the plan of Mary Magdalene, and the reason she reasoned within herself, the reason she came to this conclusion, was out of her fear of the Jews, dear friends. What did she have to fear as a disciple of Christ? Rather, she had to fear those quote-unquote centurions that were round about the temple that might see her attempting to go in. And so, The Gospel of Peter says that Mary had within herself a fear of the Jews, and that the disciples also had a fear of the Jews. But Scripture straightforwardly says we're to fear only Yahweh God. And Yahweh God made His will manifest through this very account. Did He not, dear kinsfolk? Indeed He did. Man reasoned and said, you know what, we're going to put lots of soldiers, lots of guards right here, the grave of Jesus Christ. That way, God's will won't be done. But God merely sent a few angels, and most of them ran back to Pilate's court to tell Pilate what had done, leaving the tomb unattended. So, dear friends, it's easy to see the irony and the uh, comedy of Yahweh God in this, is it not? Because this is what man says. Man says, we're not going to allow the will of God to come to be. We're not going to allow prophecy to be fulfilled. Yet through it all, even with that thought, and because they had that thought, prophecy is fulfilled. We cannot stop the plans of God. So the plan of Mary Magdalene was to sit outside of the tomb because the stone was placed at the entrance and weep and lament for the passing of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 in the Gospel according to Peter it says this, And they who was at Mary Magdalene and her friends, they went and found the tomb opened. And coming near, they looked in there. And they see there a certain young man sitting in the midst of the tomb, beautiful, and clothed in a robe exceeding bright, who said to them, Wherefore are ye come? Question. Whom seek ye? Another question. Him that was crucified? Third question. He is risen and gone. But if ye believe not, look in and see the place where he lay, that he is not here. For he is risen and gone thither. Thence he was sent. Then the woman feared and fled to understand that even Mary Magdalene, who was considered a disciple of Jesus Christ, when she saw a true son of God sitting in his light, feared. She feared the supernatural. That's not to say Mary was lacking in faith. That is to say that it is a great and terrible thing to fall into the hands of God. The Judeo-Christians walk around and they say, angels on your body. They come along and they pray for angels continually, never understanding that if Yahweh God were to truly send one of His angels before them, they probably couldn't bear to see it. They would run in fear. And this is exactly what Mary Magdalene did. Understand, even though this angel was beautiful, even though this angel was calming and dressed in white, which is a symbol of purity, It was the instinct of Mary Magdalene to fear. And so, indeed, I've covered the entire Gospel of Mark. I've also covered the entire Gospel of John. And in each of these narratives, Mary Magdalene mistakes the angel for a grave robber. She was fearful because she believed that this was somebody who came along and stole the body of Jesus Christ. Within her own heart, within her own mind, she reasoned Is this going to affect the faith of the Israelites? Is this going to thwart the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus Christ said when he walked, when he lived, saying, tear this temple down, tear this body down, and I will raise it again on the third day? Oh, I'm sure all these thoughts went through Mary Magdalene during this time. And so it was. As they approached the tomb of Jesus Christ, they saw the tomb was opened. There were no centurions, there were no guards, they had fled in fear as well, and they were in Pilate's court, telling him all the things they had seen. And while they were gone, here comes Mary Magdalene. She finds the tomb open, she sees a young man, quote-unquote, an archangel, sitting in the midst of the tomb, beautiful and clothed in a robe exceeding bright. And all that angel can do is say, are you come to see Jesus Christ? What was this angel doing, dear friends? He was going back to Scripture. He was asking questions of Mary that were contingent upon her priorities. Do you seek to find the living among the dead? Well, he simply will not exist there. And so it is. He gives her a sign. He says to Mary, go inside. Look, you won't find Jesus Christ. He is risen. And so I'll ask you, dear friends, is Jesus Christ living or dead to you? For I've heard Judeo-Christian pastors come along and say, Jesus Christ was a great man. Jesus Christ was a Jew in the past tense. That is, because Jesus Christ is dead to them. We should never make that mistake ourselves, dear friends. We should always say Jesus Christ is, because Jesus Christ can never die. He is spirit. He is merely Yahweh, God's spirit in flesh form. But many miss that mark. Mary Magdalene didn't necessarily lack faith because she wasn't extra familiar with the Word of God. But it should be pointed out that many of the male disciples were, like Thomas, who had to have a sign, who had to put his very finger within the side of Jesus Christ in order to believe. Or Peter, who sunk in the water because he took his eyes off of Jesus Christ, who was walking on the water. Had Peter merely kept his eyes on Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have sunk And so it is up to you, dear friends. Do you believe Jesus Christ is living or dead? More importantly, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God or God manifest in the flesh? Emmanuel, God with us, like his name means. If you understand that he is God, then you understand the morality and the love that he has for his bride, for his Israelite people. You'll understand the reason why he made the sacrifice. And even though Peter in this gospel is pointing out several negative and darker aspects surrounding the burial of Jesus Christ, you'll be able to see that God's hand is through it all. How can I say that? Because here it is. It's not only here, but it's also in your King James Version of the Bible. If somebody comes up to you and says, How can you say the world conspired surrounding the burial of Jesus Christ, you can take them right here to the lost gospel of Peter. Point it out to them. Here it is, Pilate saying, Oh, I wash my hands of this. I'm going to go ahead and cover up the fact that these events happened. What does this mean? This means that the world isn't going to come along and tell you that the skies opened up, that Yahweh God was real, and that Jesus Christ ascended. Rather, moreover, the world will cover those facts up because the world always has. Yet at the same time, dear friends, it's transcribed here so you can have the blessed assurance through his word. So you can have the upper hand in a debate. Point it out. Here they are conspiring to say these miracles didn't happen. Take them back to your own King James if you wish. And point to them the fact that the Jews came to Pilate and said, Don't say that he's the king of the Jews. Say that he said he's the king of the Jews and put that above his cross. And what does Pilate say, dear friends? He says, what I've written, I've written, I've written, Pilate wrote it, the king of the Jews. Where's your heart? Do you believe he is the king of Israel, like all of scripture confirms? Or do you believe he's the king of the Jews, slash, a.k.a. king of the Judeans, king of one twelfth of those tribes? You would do better to err on the side of scripture. Because Yahweh God, through his word, can speak to you. He can work his will in your life through this word. You can, in essence, learn about Yahweh God and grow closer to your heavenly father through his word. And this last gospel, according to Peter, is no different. You can, like a natural man, come along and say, you know what? That's considered Gnostic. That's considered non-canonized. I'm going to throw that out. I'm not going to study it. You can do that. That's what you want to do. That's what a majority of Judeo-Christians will do. The reason they do that is their heart's not inclined to even study their own Bible, the 66 books they have in the King James. So when you come along and you start reading to them the Gospel of Mary, the Proto-Evangelion, the Gospel of Thomas, or any of these historical texts, they're bored instantly, coming out the gate. They don't want to listen to it. But you should, dear friends, because Yahweh God can speak to you. And so here we are at the final and 14th verse in the lost gospel according to Peter. And we're going to go ahead and complete this chapter, complete this series, and cover that verse now. It says this in verse 14. Now it was the last day of the unleavened bread, and many were going forth, returning to their homes, as the feast was ended. But we, the twelve disciples of the Lord, wept and were grieved, and each one, being grieved for that which was come to pass, departed to his home. But I, Simon Peter, and Andrew, my brother, took our nets and went to the sea. And there was with us Levi, the son of Alphaeus, whom the Lord, dot, dot, dot. And that, dear friends, is the end of the lost gospel according to Peter, and the end of the manuscript, because the manuscript is lost from that point on. So we do not know how much longer it went, but we know that it's pretty much right at the end of the other Gospels. That is, Jesus Christ, when he walked, came and he called Simon Peter. He called the disciples to him and said, I will make you fishers of men. After the crucifixion, after the ascension, and after Jesus Christ sat at the right hand of Yahweh God, Peter and many of the other disciples had no other recourse but to go right back to where it was that they were before Jesus Christ had called them. Now, is that to say that they just went back to their everyday life, never mentioned Jesus Christ again? No, no, indeed. What that means is they went back to what was familiar to them. They went back to the sea, they went back to the boats, and they started fishing. Now we know, according to our canonized Gospels, that Jesus Christ makes one final appearance to them. That is, on the beach, and that's most likely what was dropped or lost from the end of the Gospel of Peter. Because most of them end on that note. He walks along the sea, and he tells them, It is I, Jesus Christ, ensuring faith within his disciples. But what I'm pointing out, dear friends, is his disciples did not go right back to fishing and never once again mentioned the name of Jesus Christ. Rather, quite the contrary. They went back to fishing, but they incorporated the ministry of Jesus Christ within their everyday walk. As they fished, as they went to and from, they preached. They taught and repeated the many things that Jesus Christ had shared with them the many miracles that had come to pass, and we can read about many of these miracles in the book of the Acts, or the Acts of the Ambassadors. You can study about that for yourself, what happens after Jesus Christ ascends. There are several important points that I want to point out from this lost gospel according to Peter. Indeed, first and foremost, Joseph of Arimathea was, according to this gospel, a friend of Pilate and a friend of Jesus Christ both. Are we able to do that? Well, according to Jesus Christ, he says you'll either love one and hate the other. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve God and the world. But he also says that we're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And therefore, if Joseph of Arimathea was able to go into Pilate's court and take the body of Jesus Christ so that it didn't hang on a cross and have buzzards peck at it, then kudos to him. More power to him for the glory of Yahweh God. He fulfilled both Jesus Christ's commandment, that we are to be wiser than serpents, and he fulfilled the other teaching of Jesus Christ, that is, you cannot serve God and mammon. Obviously, Joseph's heart was inclined to serve Jesus Christ, as was Simon Peter's. Peter says, I went back to fishing. He doesn't say, I turned from Jesus Christ. According to our canonized gospels, we hear of Peter denying the Lord three times before the cock crows. This lost gospel of Peter begins after that point. So it's most likely that Peter did deny Jesus Christ because of the world's oppression. No different today, dear friends. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen Christian identity pastors. I've even seen Judeo-Christian pastors find themselves in a bit of trouble. Whether they're set up or whether they bring the trouble on themselves is a side point. But what happens when these pastors fall into trouble when the shepherd is smitten The flock scatters. Nine times out of ten, that's exactly what happens. And it will be no different if I'm ever framed, locked up, or put in jail, dear friends. I expect my flock to go out and deny me. That's fine. Doesn't matter. What matters is that you listen. Just the fact that you listen to these sermons, dear friends. You read the articles or you visit and frequent our forums and engage in fellowship. It's enough for me. It's all you need to do to support the ministry, dear friend. Most of us within Christian identity already know we're never going to get rich preaching this. And so I say unto you that the single greatest way of supporting covenant people's ministry is your prayer. First and foremost, your prayer before anything else. Then, the second greatest thing you can do to support my ministry, dear friends is to swing by our website. The address will be given here momentarily at the conclusion of this broadcast. Sign up for an account. Make some posts. Put some articles in the Covenant People's Wiki. Post some comments on the Covenant People's WordPress. Just in doing that, you're helping our site to grow and grow in the search engines. If we grow in the search engines, then by default, more people find our ministry. And like I had mentioned earlier in tonight's broadcast, Of those thousand that listen, a hundred will complete the sermon. Of those hundred that complete the sermon, ten will actually believe. And of those ten that actually believe, one will make changes within their life and change their life. That one out of that thousand is worth it, dear friends. That was what we covered in the Gospel according to Thomas. Just a couple of weeks ago, dear friends, we covered the aspect of Jesus Christ will forsake 99 of those sheep to go after one. This was transcribed in your King James Bible. But what's being said there is this, that Jesus Christ will forsake 99% of his flock, if you will, momentarily, to go after that one lost sheep. Why? Because he's lost. Because he's in a state of slumber. Jesus Christ did preach to those who sleep. That was the reason why those other sheep weren't asleep. No, focus in, dear friends. Listen to me now. Those other sheep were not asleep. Thus, when Jesus Christ was able to forsake them, quote unquote, or at least leave them momentarily to go after the lost sheep of the house of Israel, they didn't go and follow the voice of a stranger. Christ straightforwardly taught it. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. Moreover, the voice of a stranger they will not. Jesus Christ didn't forsake, if you will, his sheep. Jesus Christ says, I'll never leave nor forsake you anyway. He left them momentarily. And so we can see this overlaid within the story of Israel, can we not? We can see this overlaid within the quote-unquote Gentiles. Jesus Christ came to Israel. Israel received him not, if you will, at least the majority, Israel wanted to crucify Jesus Christ. And thus it was that Jesus Christ says, I can raise up stones to Abraham's seed. Thus it was that Jesus Christ can say, go out to the street and invite anybody you want to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Whoever comes, they will come. Am I preaching universalism? Dear friends, no I'm not. Because those lost sheep of the house of Israel are also among the same racial stock As the Israelites. But they are lost in a world of slumber. Do not make the same mistake, dear friends. Do not go to sleep. Because if you go to sleep, you cannot be a watchman. And a watchman looks for signs that are on the horizon. A watchman stays within the word so he's familiar enough with the plan of Yahweh God so he can recognize it when it comes to pass. I guarantee you the 99 sheep that were left behind didn't say, Oh my God, we've been left, we're forsaken. Rather, they knew Jesus Christ was with them, always, and that he'd be back. He merely went to do the Father's business, to awaken another lost sheep. And so with that being established, dear friends, I'll say unto you, that I hope that this sermon has edified you, that it has woke you up, in some regards, at least pertaining to the importance of these historical documents. If we don't want to accept them as canon, if we don't want to believe that they're wholly inspired by the Word of God, dear friends, that's fine, and that's up to you as an individual. But we should still at least study them, we should incline our hearts to understand them, so we can understand what it was like, historically, at the time these documents were written, based on their antiquity alone. They have much worth. And so, until next, and so, until next time, which will most likely be this Sunday morning, this is Pastor Visser, once again, wishing you and yours, great studies, war for Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906- 9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.